Well, it's good morning from me. You doing well? Excellent. My name's Peter. I'm one of the leaders out here at the church. Great to have you out. I don't know what that, have we turned into Melbourne all of a sudden? Has anyone, has anyone thought that? I want to go with that. I think it's like 15 degrees in Melbourne today, something like that. So, uh, but that's only like three degrees colder than us, and then we've got the Toowoomba wind chill factor. So we're basically in Melbourne. That's really what I'm saying. Um, good to have you out. Um, we are so into theology at the project, all right? We are so into theology. You know what theology is? Theology is the study of God and God's relation to the world, okay? But we don't actually, we're not into theology in that we like to actually stand up and talk about theology as a standalone construct. We always like theology to be uh, embedded theology, all right? And since the beginning of the project, uh, the project has been really interested um, in theology, uh, but it's been embedded and in the in what we've been preaching when we preach out of books of the Bible, and even more than that, we've been very careful not to put it in the driver's seat, but to keep it in the back seat, all right? We have seen many, many churches split and divide and have all sorts of trouble because of differences in theology, all right? Which is why we think theology sits most neatly in the back seat. It needs to be in the car, but it sits in the back seat, um, and it's embedded within the stuff that we preach when we preach out of the Bible. Because the main thing for us is uh, we think the Bible is, um, is God's inspired word. It's what he wanted to say. And so we'll say everything in it that is in it. And do the best that we can to provide a coherent kind of system out of that. Um, the reality is that theology that people draw out of the Bible was always in specific time and place right it was in a particular context so Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians which we're doing now he also wrote a letter to the Galatians so the theology that is unfolding like if you read the book of um, Galatians which talks a lot about circumcision you just go what that like what's what's with that well it's actually God's truth uh, who God is being brought to bear upon a specific time and place all right so part of the discipline of actually working out uh, what God's saying there is actually understanding the time and place and then kind of uh, drawing out of the time and place and what God said uh, what we can know about God is everyone okay so far that's kind of the bottom line of what uh, theology is right now today we're actually going to look at a passage in Ephesians where it looks like theology is not uh, loaded on the back end but it's loaded on the front end right because it is Okay, and uh, so we're going to read it. So if you haven't got a Bible, we've got heaps of Bibles up the back. So we'll all just close our eyes for 30 seconds and you can sneak up there and grab one. Um, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 1. Um, so I'd love you to have a Bible open. Go to verse 3. That's where we're going to start. We just, we've got a cracking pace going on here. We did one verse last week, which is verse 3. So... Uh, Trusting uh, you won't pull a hammy today because we're going to do three to six today, four verses today. So um, we've got some free physiotherapy for those at the end of it who uh, who are going to need that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
Now, I'm sure you didn't miss it, all right? And I, I know that people are already having debates and conversations about this, and it's about two words that kind of came up pretty early on in that reading. Uh, God chose us and predestined us. So strap yourselves in. <laughs> Historically, there's, uh, there's basically two ends of the spectrum on the whole issue of choosing and predestining people, all right? Some of you would, be, uh, would have heard of a guy called John Calvin uh, and these people who kind of side with John Calvin are Calvinists uh, generally, uh, even though I'm not sure that John Calvin would, be protect- would even call himself a Calvinist, if that makes sense. Um, and, and Joseph Arminius, is, the Arminians are kind of at the other end of the spectrum, okay? Uh, and there's kind of been this, the two ends of the, the continuum and um, they've kind of been debating for centuries now. And uh, some of you may have, actually, um, may have actually been part of some of those debates. You can go back earlier than Calvin and Arminian, uh, Joseph Arminius uh, to Augustine and Pelagius. Uh, what we're really talking about in all of this is what's the connecting point, what's the interaction between God's sovereignty and human responsibility and hum- human choosing, okay? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the interface, the connector. If you think about it like a bike chain, all right, there's one link on the bike chain that is kind of the connector chain that connects the two ends together of the chain so that you have a continuous chain. Um, what they're really, what, what those two views are kind, of, are kind of trying to do is trying to press in and work out what is that link that actually links uh, the two together. Where do they connect together? And I think a really helpful way to uh, conceptualise it is uh, like this. What you can see there is a photo of uh, Backstage. All right. So I want you to imagine you, you go to a concert and you get good tickets, right? You're not from a Presbyterian background. I'm kidding. All right. But you get good tickets, you spend the money, you sit right up the front and you're to the sides, right? And as you look up at the stage, you can actually see a little bit of the backstage in there. All right. Now you're looking at it, you're kind of going, that's interesting. And obviously everything works, but you can't see everything and you can't see where everything connects. You can only see a little piece of it. And one of the things I think we see when we look at the Bible is we see God kind of pulling the curtains back on backstage and going, there you go, have a look at that stuff. This is some of the stuff that's going on. And then we go, but what about this and what about that? And how does that fit in with that? And how does that work with that? And then he closes the curtain, right? And so you actually have, at some level, you've actually got partial knowledge about how all of this uh, actually works and how things uh, connect there. But you don't actually have enough information to make a final call on it okay let me just take you in a little bit deeper i don't know how, how far in are we now we like is it up to your knees or some of you going no it's 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 neck height already and i feel myself choking and and, and grass, gasping for not grasping for air that would be weird gasping for air um here's in terms of calvinism and arminianism here's your two ends of the the spectrum uh, generally all right. Now, that, even that would be debated. Look, everything that I say today is going to be debated by someone somewhere in the world who's probably thinks they're smarter than me or actually is, which that wouldn't be that hard. But anyway, the first, basically what you've got is you've got these two camps and they came up with five points that summarise their view on how God's sovereignty and human freedom and choosing kind of connects in together. All right? Um, strangely enough, it was Calvin's, like, Padawans, I shouldn't say that, apprentices, Padawans are girls, aren't they? Um, it, was, it was Calvin's kind of uh, disciples in a sense that actually came up with five 
the, the five points of Calvinism, and uh, then you've got the Arminianism one. So here we go. Basically, uh, Calvinists are going to say that people are totally depraved uh, and don't actually have uh, any kind of free will in there to actually, in and of themselves on their own, choose God. Uh, Arminians are going to say, no, humans are actually affected by turning away from God, by sin, but they can actually uh, choose God. Uh, Calvinists are going to go, God unconditionally chooses and elects the people that, um, that, are, going to be in, um, that are going to be saved. Um, the uh, Arminians are going to say, no, God actually doesn't choose and elect that way. What he does is he sees into the future. He sees he's going to respond to him and then he chooses and predestines the people that he knows are going to respond to him. Um, Five points of Calvinism would say that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for all the people that were going to come to faith in him and not for anyone else. And the um, Arminians are going to say, no, he actually paid the penalty for everyone and it gets activated when someone has faith in God. Um, and then you've got irresistible grace, which is basically the point that when someone actually gets to see God uh, for who he really is, they're not going to ever choose not to have him. All right? they're, they're, they do have a choice, but they're always going to choose God because of how good he is. Uh, Arminians are going to say, no, no, you can actually resist God. Uh, you can resist the Holy Spirit. Um, and the last one there is the uh, perseverance of the uh, saints, which is basically, uh, if you've heard of uh, once saved, always saved, that's that one. Once you become a Christian, you make it to the end. And uh, Arminians kind of go, no, um, you can actually fall off the perch, so to speak, uh, in terms of your uh, salvation. Okay, Cook's tour. So here's, uh, here's my question for you. Um, you don't necessarily have to call this out loud because it could be embarrassing. Um, where do you think the project stands? Okay, so if, if uh, there's an invisible line going up there, and I'm actually highlighting it now, it's a little bit bumpy. There's an invisible line there. Which, uh, which side? Yeah, I'll just tell you something. We are not at either extreme. Let's just say that really clearly. Um, but I wonder where you think, uh, what side you think we would sit on in terms of uh, the centre. Okay. Interesting question. Now, some of you who have read some of this stuff, you would have, you'd be able to notice from the terminology and the way that we teach different things, you'd probably be able to pick which side that we'd probably be on, okay? Now, just saying, is anyone interested in which side we are of, of centre there? So there's a couple of people. We're probably on, on the left, all right? And there you go. Okay, so tell me how far on the left. Okay. I'm not telling you that. We're just on the left. What's that? That left. We're on that left of centre. Now, you've got questions now, haven't you? <laughs> Don't you? Just, and some of you are Googling for new churches in Toowoomba. <laughs> right now, you're just going, that's going to be a problem, right? Let me give you some of the questions you either are having or have had, okay? Uh, or maybe you haven't had any of them. But anyway, here we go. Uh, how does free will fit into this? Um, how are people responsible for where they go? Uh, what if someone wanted to be saved but was not predestined? So we don't need to do evangelism or tell people about Jesus because God has chosen who's going to be saved anyway, so what's the point? 
Uh, why does God choose some and not others? And how is it fair for God to choose some and not others and then send the ones he did not choose to hell? Diego, you've got questions now, haven't you? Even if you didn't have them before, you've got questions now, haven't you? Well, let me give you the project view. You ready for this? Here's the project view. When God created Adam and Eve, they created perfect. All right? And they actually had, they were the only humans that weren't God in the history of humanity that actually had uh, full kind of free will. Okay? Uh, what they did is uh, sin entered the world. They turned their backs on God. They didn't want to do things God's way. They worshipped something else and loved something else other than God. And what actually happened is that sin affected all aspects of, uh, of them. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that people are as bad as they possibly could be. It just means that there's no part of anyone um, who's, that's unaffected by uh, sin itself. So, in a sense, free choosing in some sense still exists, but it does not exist in the same way that it existed for Adam and Eve, okay? because sin has actually tainted it. And uh, one of the areas that's been really critical about the way that sin has affected humanity is it's actually made humans not liking God, his enemies, and not wanting him. Okay? You kind of get that out of Romans 3. So the bottom line is that a human left to themselves without any outside interaction from God will never ever choose him because they don't like him and they don't want him. Okay? That, that's kind of the natural kind of fallen state of a human. Which means that when someone begins to love Jesus, it's because God has gotten involved with them and is doing the heavy lifting to bring about new life in them. Okay? Is that cool? You've still got questions, right? A few of you are just going, yeah, yeah, we do. I'm going to skip those. So let me ask you this one. You can change this. You can call it free will or, or free choice or ability to choose or whatever, but can free choosing and God's sovereignty coexist? <laughs> yes, they can. All right? So look at this scripture out of Proverbs. The lot, you can call it dice if you want, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. <laughs> at which point you say to the writer of the proverb, thanks, you really didn't help me that much. All right? <laughs> the lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Okay? they actually do operate in unison. I mean, there's a wonderful message given by Tim Keller and he actually talks about how a lot of cultures in the past have just been able to compute this, that um, the will of the gods and the free choosing of people underneath kind of overlay over the top of one another. Now, you, you know, in, uh, I think it's Acts, um, I think it talks in Acts about how it was God's plan that Judas betrayed Jesus. But you know what? You know who's responsible for the betrayal of Jesus? Judas. Did Judas choose to do what he did? Yeah, he did. Of course he did. He always did. But he's, and he's responsible for it. But what happened? God's plan. And, you see, and some of you go, well, how's that work? That's right. <laughs> just does. All right? It's just how it is. All right? So we're just not going to pull in the direction of saying God's not in control, all right? And then we're not, going to we're not going to pull in the direction of people are not responsible, okay? Brilliant quote here, I think, from Tim Keller. It says, here are two crucial biblical truths that must be held together. Everything we do is part of God's plan, yet we are never coerced and are completely responsible for our actions. 
hear that? It's a good comment. John Stott, he's, uh, he's died now. So I, I said in the last service, John Stott says this, but John Stott doesn't say anything anymore. But this is what he wrote. Um, now, everybody finds the doctrine of election difficult. Didn't I choose God? Somebody asks indignantly. To which we must answer, yes, indeed you did, and freely. But only because in eternity God had first chosen you. Didn't I decide for Christ, asked somebody else. To which we must reply, yes, indeed you did, and freely. But only because in eternity... God had first decided for you. Scripture nowhere dispels the mystery of election and we should beware of any who try to systematise it too precisely or rigidly. It is not likely that we shall discover a simple solution to a problem which has baffled the best brains of Christendom for centuries. Anyone got an amen for that? Amen. All right. Now, I've tricked you a little bit. Okay? I don't often confess this. I like to trick you and not tell you. No, I'm kidding. It's just a joke. I actually have tricked you a little bit, right? You know what the trick was? I told you at the start that we don't ever do theology without it being embedded, and then I just did theology with you that's not embedded for about the last 10 or 15 minutes. And you know, the result of that probably right now is that a whole bunch of you have got a whole bunch of disturbing questions that you feel like you need to have an answer to. And do you know what is tragic about that and it is tragic is if we go back to where we started with Ephesians 1 do you know the top spiritual blessing that Paul explodes out of his mouth with is that you get chosen to be in God's family and do you know what's just happened in the last 10 or 15 minutes most of us probably have lost a sense of how blessed that is you with me it's like Verse 3 to 14 in Ephesians 1 is the longest sentence in the Bible it's 202 Greek words of Paul exploding in praise to God and where we are now is thinking controversy about what God's up to and what we're up to and how that all kind of links together, all right? Now, those are good questions to ask and they're good questions to think about, but it just illustrates to you um, the danger of doing theology that's not embedded in something, all right? Now, I'm not saying that doing theology that way is bad. I'm not saying that, right? And I read systematic theological books regularly, okay which are doing that and I think it's important and it's helpful to have that I'm just saying that it's a little bit uh, risky and it can get disconnected from real life when you do that is everyone everyone cool so far so some of you you know it's it's I hope you it was a trick at some level right but it was a trick to show you that when we head off in that direction direction it's unhelpful to us okay so now what I actually want to do is head back in the other direction Okay, and let's keep it in uh, Ephesians 1 and keep it in context because you know what? If you have the question like, do we even have to go and evangelise people if God chooses who's going to be saved anyway? You know what? That's not even in Ephesians 1, you know? And you just go, well, what, what happens to, what if God doesn't choose people and some people go to, well, that's not really in there either. Now, you can go somewhere else in the Bible and you can look at that like, you could spend a good amount of time in Romans 9, but that's not what Ephesians 1 is about. Ephesians 1 is about this, isn't it? That God adopts. That's what it's about. God adopts people into his family. And what is the point that Paul's trying to make here about God adopting you into his family? Is He wants you to know how secure you are. Your position, if you love Jesus and you're part of his family, your position in him 
is ridiculously secure. You good with that? So let's just do this little test. This is not a trick. Who here loves Jesus and knows that you're one of his kids? Put your hand up nice and tall. Keep them up. All of you are predestined. You can put your hand down. Is that cool? You have a look at Ephesians 1, right? Can everyone just have a look at Ephesians 1 and verse 1? Well, who is Ephesians written to? Someone tell me. The Ephesians, the saints. All right? He's talking to the saints. He's saying, you're predestined and chosen. Let me tell you how wonderful that is and the beautiful position that it puts you in. That's what I'm going to do for the rest of today. Is everyone up for that? And here's the thing. If you're not someone who's a child of God, he wants you to be in his family. There's no question. The Bible's clear about the fact that he wants you to be in his family. And here's the thing. You have a look at Ephesians chapter 1 there. You know what the predestination and the election and the choosing is for? It's for relationship. And the thing is, like 10 minutes ago, when I was talking about Calvinism, there was a lot of you probably that were thinking about the judicial fairness of something, right? It's not predestination to judicial fairness that God's doing, although that's important, and I think God is a fair and he's a just judge, right? The predestination, the choosing in Ephesians 1 is predestination to relationship. That's what it is. A family relationship, a relationship with the Father. And Paul's just psyched and pumped about the fact that you're chosen to be in relationship with God himself. All right, you ready to go? This is going to be a little bit shorter. This is the second half of the message. Here's the first bit. God adopted you into his family. Now listen, you know that God's like this, right? You know God's character is like this, is that he's someone that adopts orphans and he looks after widows, right? You know that? I mean, you look in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18 to 19, it says, God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner then, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You know, you read through the Old Testament and you see time after time, it says things like this, that God is the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. And he makes rules that you need to look after fatherless and the widows. Why? Because that's what he does. He's that kind of person. All right? So he loves to get people and actually bring them into his family and adopt them into his family. You see, think about this right now. You think about the fact that God, like think about your position. You've had God grab you and say, I want you to be mine. I want you to be my kid. That's incredible. Think about the security of that, the position of that. You know, think about, I mean, I'm going to go back to the predestination thing, right? Because when you're adopted, you actually don't have that much say in it. Do you? Who has all the say when someone adopts someone? The parents do, right? That's, that's kind of how it works. And it's an intensely gracious and loving act because the parents have come along and said, I want you to be in my family. I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter and we're going to provide for you. And this is what God actually does for us. Now, we have to have a little side note here. What, what happened? Well, at the start, I mean, we talked about this at the project a, a couple of months ago. 
God, we were actually in God's family. We were his kids, but we've like gone, no thanks. I'll do my own thing, thanks. You know, it's almost like if you know the story of the prodigal son, the son saying, give me my inheritance is like saying, dad, you're as good as dead to me. And I'm gone. And that, there's a breach in the family at that point. Sin actually makes us orphans. We walk away and we get lonely and we get isolated. And I want you to hear me today that God is stoked to have you in his family. He is psyched about it, right? Now, sometimes don't you find you're sitting around and maybe you've blown it and you're just kind of going, you know, it's, it's like God got caught on a, you know, a clause somewhere down in the contract there and he's just going, oh, it was really good for a while and I'd really like to get out of this clause of having you in my family, but, you know, clause 75A has got me and I'm stuck. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you ever get that feeling sometimes? You're just kind of like God's this begrudging God. He's just kind of going, oh, it's Peter again. What do you want? You know? Don't you feel like that sometimes? You just kind of feel like he's a bit begrudging. Well, I want you to have a look at your Bible there. Can you have a look? I want you to look there at verse 5 in in chapter 1 there. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, a classic understatement at the end of verse 5 there, right? If you go to other reputable versions of the Bible, uh, they don't say according to the purpose of his will. You know what they actually say? They say according to the good pleasure of his will. All right? He is re- you've got to hear this this morning. If, you, if, if you're his kid, you just need to hear this morning, he loves having you in his family. He just loves it. And do you know what? If you're not his kid this morning and you haven't given your life to him, he wants you to be in his family too. There's no question. So get in on it, all right? And have a father that just loves it and loves having you around. Now, it's amazing when you, when you think about that. You go, oh, yeah, that's nice. But look at actually what we were. Can you go to Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bibles there? Verse, um, verse 1. I'm just going to read 1 to 3 there. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in that. What's the next word? Sons of disobedience. All right? Well, hang on. Now, whoa, what are you saying? We say we weren't God's sons or daughters. We were actually sons of disobedience. Let's keep going. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, what's the next few words? Children of wrath. Do you get that? That is incredible. Sons and daughters of disobedience. Some of the ladies here are going, no, no, it just says sons, all right? It's the dudes that are in trouble here, we're in the clear, all right? But we know this is talking about all of us. Sons and daughters of disobedience, children of wrath. Think about that. I mean, think about the queen going to Calcutta and finding some starving, stinking orphan on the side of the road in India and saying, come and live with me in my palace. And you're not even getting close to what it's like for God to adopt you into his family. And no one's twisting his arm. No one's making him do it. This is a a free initiative just coming straight out of him and straight out of his heart. Now, sons of disobedience, children of wrath. And then this from the Sydney Morning Herald. Listen to this. 
This is uh, in September this year, the power and predisposition of loneliness. Listen to this. It has been called the next big public health hazard, perhaps second only to current public enemy number one, sugar. Some of you go, no, it's true. It is. That is, that is, that, that is going to be the third world war. Uh, and it's going to be about sugar. Too much of either has dire consequences for our health, except we consume one while the other can consume us. Rates of loneliness in Australia and the world are rising, and we tend to assume that it is circumstantial. The counterintuitive result of us being more, becoming more disconnected from each other, despite the fact that we are more connected than ever. Let me read you the last paragraph I've got here. Uh, loneliness, like physical pain, is a biological trigger that alerts us to danger. We're wired to feel the emotional pain of loneliness, experts believe. Listen to this. To motivate us to seek connection with others because our survival is always dependent on social protection. It's crap, right? I get it, it just is. It's just rubbish. Okay? You know why? Because God made you relational. He made you him relational and other people relational. And when those aren't working, you get lonely. All right? And even when those are working, in a sinful world, you can be lonely, right? Who knows that? You can be. All right? Think about the notion of loneliness and God's adoption of us into his family. Do you know what's true? I can feel alone, but I am never alone. Ever. Isn't that true? Never. You, you love Jesus. You're one of his kids right now. You know what? You can feel alone, but you will never, ever be alone. You know why? Because he said to you lots of times, he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Ever. 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 Ever, you will never be alone. That is unspeakably precious, isn't it? And why won't you ever be alone? Because you're his kid, right? You're his kid and he's a good dad. What dad's leaving his kids hanging out to dry? Do you know what I'm saying? I know dads do it, but what good dad's going to leave his kids out to dry? You know, he's going to be with them. This is what God is like with you. You know, there's a sense, you know, this is, this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I want you to hear this. Once you're in, you're, you're in. You know, I, you might think about some of the theological stuff we did earlier and just go, oh, it's, it's just a bit awkward and a bit, a bit weird. But let me just cash it out this way because this is the way I think Paul does it. Uh, when you adopt someone, it's the parents that take the initiative in the adoption. Okay? That sounds like predestination and election to me. Okay? And do you know what? Another theological truth, which I think, is, I think is true, and we think is true here at the project, is that once you become God's children, it's one heck of a weird family if you can go in and out of being a child when you blow it. It just seems to me like if the whole thing's running like a family uh, and you get adopted into it, then you can blow it tomorrow and it's going to be okay. You don't stop being a kid. You don't, and this is kind of the thing, I, I mean, I don't like the way it's cashed out, but the whole once saved, always saved is, I think, captures something. And what it captures that's helpful is like, if you're in a family and you blow it on Monday and you're out of the family Monday and then you suck it up and you get things in line and then you're welcome back in on the Tuesday, I don't know whether you're with me on that. And some people are in families that operate a bit like that, but that's, that's not normal. Is it, are we all happy to say that? That is not a normal family. Here's the thing, you can blow it big time in a normal family and that doesn't stop people being related. Some of you are going, don't I know it? <laughs> All right? 
I'd like to just not be related. I'm, I'm sorry, that's how a family works. And you know, adoption works worked similarly in Paul's time to what it does for us. All right? And here's how it worked. An adopted child has the same status as a biological child. Now, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. No, but stick that in there and just think about, think about adoption and God adopting you. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? I mean, we get into Hebrews here. And I'm, we're not in the same, exactly the same position as Jesus, right? But in Hebrews, it talks about Jesus being our brother. This is a privilege beyond words. Well, I'm going to show you a, a video. I don't know whether you know, but Hugh uh, Jackman and his wife adopted a couple of kids. I want you just to watch this video a bit and just see uh, just the beauty of what's going on there, right? Because I just want you to kind of connect with that um, and, and hopefully this video will help. If you're really good at reading a, a, uh, an Asian language, the first video's got, the first part of it's got some subtitles in there. I'd love it if you just wanted to interpret for me later on. That'd be great. It's a complete blessing in every way. Uh, it's one of the greatest things ever to happen in my life. And uh, both my children are more than a blessing, the greatest gift I have. Oscar's 12 and Ava's 7, and they are just... The greatest blessings in my life, they're such a joy. You learn so much about yourself. What, what have as you a learned parent. from your children? Oh, patience, understanding, and definitely humility. Come back, uh, and you need to kind of resolve all that stuff. But my kids are more than anything, even in this metropolis, they make you slow down and they make you connect. I see him blossoming, I see him owning the things that make him unique, um, and his confidence has just grown more and more. And she's just poster child. So she loves school, loves school, loves it. You know, she can't wait to go. She comes home, tells me all about her dad, and she's so like dead. Your parents, I believe, need to be honoured. You know, then you need to, and when I say honoured, have a real relationship. Talk with them. I, I miss this, Mum, Dad. I, I, I did want this. I didn't get this. I love you. I know you're doing your best. I want to... Yeah, but I want to have a real relationship with you. And as you become an adult, you know, I think that's, that's important. And also, having faith and believing and doing the right thing pays off. He's got money, doesn't he? And what did he do? Him and his wife went. And they found some kids that, for whatever reason, couldn't stay with their parents. And now, those kids have got the rights to everything. 
that mum and dad have got rights to. Why? Because they're their kids. That's why. Incredible. Point number two. You were adopted. It was in God's heart to adopt you before time began. Go to verse four with me. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now some of you, you still got the sound of choosing a sports team ringing in your ears. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? When you're at school and the teachers aren't around, they're on duty but they're not around and you decide you're going to play soccer with another team and they elect a couple of captains and they start choosing the team. You, you know what I'm talking about? And everyone who's really bad at soccer gets chosen first. No, they don't. All right? They get chosen last, don't they? It's just like, well, we'll just go down the line. Ah, oh, okay. I'll have you because it's better to, it's marginally better, but it's better to have you than have one short. All right? But only marginally. You know, you get that ringing in your ears. I think about this, is that God's taking the initiative in adopting you and before time even began on this planet, he was thinking about you. Like you not you, plural, you individually and you, plural. That, that is amazing. Like You think about the security of, that, of the place that you're in because God was actually doing that. It's incredible, all right? And some of you think probably that if you blow it tomorrow, God's not going to love you. Now, that doesn't make any sense with what we've just read in Ephesians, does it? Because he knew all of your days when he chose to adopt you into his family. He knew all of them. This is better than Hugh Jackman, right? Hugh Jackman hasn't got a clue what his kids are going to do in 10 years' time. They could go feral, couldn't they? And come after him. They could sue him, right? And here's the thing. God knew every day that you were ever going to have before you even existed and he still chose you. Is there a log? Well, that's, that's profound, brother. I'm kidding, right? Anyone got an amen? Amen, right? Yeah. Woo! That's good, right? Incredible stuff. He saw everything about you. He saw every blowout you've had in your whole life, the ones you haven't even seen yet. They're coming, all right? That's what we're all about here is optimistic thinking at the project, all right? But we're realists a bit. We just kind of go, look, we're, we're a sinner. And it's like Peter. Peter can be a real loser sometimes, all right? And I kind of know, I don't know the details, but I know that all of you can be too because we're all sinners. And God's going, I knew all about that and I know all the ones that you don't even know about and I have made you my son or my daughter. And he said, I want you in my family. Three goes even further than this, right? Because at some level, you know what we've been doing is we've been talking about the theory of adoption. But I think this, is, this could almost be the most amazing part of it is God doesn't just leave it as a theory. He actually pushes it into an experience. And I want you to, I want you to see this uh, with me, all right? So track back with me in love. He predestined you in what? In love, right? Love's already there. Have a look at verse four with me. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. All right. Here's a tip for you. Here's a bit of theology. If you want to be loved, stick with someone who's really loved. Stick with Jesus. All right. You remember when Jesus was baptized, God spoke and he said, this is my beloved son. All right. Jesus is the chosen one par excellence, isn't he? This is my chosen son. So here's the thing. You can, if you get connected in with Jesus as a chosen person and you respond to God, you're going to be in there and you're going to be in the middle of a place of love that's just going all over the place, right? Because God loves his son so much, doesn't he? You with me? It's like stick with him and you'll be loved, all right? That's the start of it. Now, go down, uh, go down a little bit further for me. Go down to verse uh, 13 and 14, all right? Because it goes even further than this. God's, God's not just wanting to, you to experience his love, but he's actually helping you to do it. Verse 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our, what's that next word? Inheritance. All right, who gets an inheritance? Children. Children. That's how it's meant to work. When they don't, they go to court. (laughs) All right, because that's how it's meant to work. Kids get inheritance. That's how it works. And so what's the point of God giving us the Holy Spirit? Is God's going, here's the thing, I'm giving you a guarantee that's actually going to live inside of you that you're actually one of my kids. All right? But just drill down a little bit more. Let's go. I'll put it on the screen here so we can save a bit of time. Let's go and, and listen to what Jesus says. Speaking to the disciples, he says, And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. You see that? Now, he's talking to the disciples after Jesus returns to the Father. He says, I'm not going to leave you on your own. Isn't that beautiful? God's heart is never to leave his kids on their own. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Listen to this. In that day, now I got this wrong last week when I was talking about it. Last week I referred to that day being when Jesus comes back, but what Jesus is talking about is when the Holy Spirit was actually going to come. All right? In Acts. In that day, listen to what's going to happen. You will know that I'm in my Father and you in me and I in you. You know what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit's going to come and give them an experience and awareness of being one with Jesus. Now, for some of you, so that's a bit weird, but I'm just going to push it a little bit further, all right? Go across to Galatians. You can read it on the screen up there. there. Listen, Listen to this from Paul in Galatians. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as what? As sons and daughters, as children. Isn't that incredible? And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, keep looking at that scripture. I want you to notice something about it. You know what the first half of that scripture is about? Jesus has done all the work for you to have the position as a child of God. That's the first half of it. You see that? Do you know what the second half of it is? 
is that God's given you his spirit so that you wouldn't just have the position of a child of God, but you would have the experience of a child of God. Do you see that? And what happens? You cry out from the inside, Abba, Father. And some of you know what I'm talking about, that God's actually done that in your heart. And it's like there was a time where he didn't, where you didn't do that, and now there's a time that you do. And you know the difference? Is that you have the spirit living inside of you. I want to close by telling you a story. And it's a story about how I became a Christian. Okay? I was born in Monto. Does anyone know where that is? Okay. I lived there for two years. I don't remember anything of it, which might be a good thing. I don't know. I just, sorry, if you're from Monto, I'm not bagging it. Moved to um, Brisbane, lived in Acacia Ridge for um, about eight years, and we moved down to Ballina. Um, I think we left. Ballon. I left Ballon and went to Sydney but I came back up and a mate of mine lived in a, in a place called Wardell which is about 15 k's south of Ballon just on the Richmond River um, and um, just went and stayed at his house actually I was 16 at the time and um, while, I was, while I was there at, uh, at his place uh, this, this uh, friend of his mum's came one day and um, his um, Sorry, her, she had like the worst rheumatoid arthritis that I've ever seen. I mean, her fingers kind of pointed down that way. I mean, she was just the most beautiful lady. Um, very gentle, lovely lady. Uh, loved Jesus uh, hugely. Um, had this friend come along. And I remember this, um, it had just been part of, a little bit part of what was going on there. Just overhearing some things and kind of being around when they were talking. And the lady was just so incredibly emotional because uh, her son, which I think vaguely was about eight at the time, had uh, apparently been having quite a bit to do with the Aboriginal witch doctors. All right. And um, she was really, really concerned um, about this. And uh, one of the main reasons she was concerned about it is because of some of the behaviour that was going on with her kid. So one of the things her kid was doing was in the middle of the night at about 3 o'clock in the morning, um, the kid would go outside to the outhouse, and if you don't know what an outhouse is, it's a house that's outside, it has a toilet in it, and that's it, all right? That's an outhouse. Um, and he would go out there at about 3 o'clock in the morning and sit on the toilet and chant things in the middle of the night. And she was, just, she was pretty distraught about it. And... Um, Obviously, um, my friend's mum chatted with her, but then the opportunity came for her and I to, um, to sit together uh, in the lounge. I think we were just in the lounge there somewhere, just sitting. And good old pastor's kid, all right? Presbyterian minister's son, been that my whole life. Getting a bit of my own back now because sometimes people say, oh, you're Peter's dad, eh? I just go, yes, <laughs> only 5,700 to go. Um, I've been Raleigh's son. Um, so sitting there, what, what am I? I'm the, I'm the guy that in family devotions uh, did the shorter catechism, the longer catechism and the Westminster Confession of Faith. And if you don't even know what they are and they sound really heavy, they are, all right? And we did them for family devotions, okay? Um, I'm sitting there and I'm just kind of going, like I just felt within myself, like I, I, I want to help this lady. I really want to help her. And do you know what I did? I sat there. And I spoke to this lady and I think I even quoted out of one of the Psalms about how good a father God was and how she can trust him. 
to be a good dad to her in the middle of this time of great difficulty for her. And it was okay. I think it was all right. I, I never really heard whether it helped her that much or not. But do you know what I do remember? I remember going back to my room after that and I got in there and I went, I want a dad like that. I want a dad like that. And I realised he wasn't my dad like that. And do you know what I did is I opened up my Psalms and it was the first time in my life that I cried out to him to be my dad. Now, we can go back to the first part of what I preached this morning, all right? If you want to. You may not want to. But do you know what? I knew everything. Not about everything, but you know what I mean. Like, I knew, I knew, I knew everything. I'd been in the church. I'd been to so many church services. I'd, 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 we'd done the confession of faith stuff. I had, the disciplines were all there to read the Bible, but the Spirit wasn't inside of me that was crying out, Abba, Father crying out dad something had to change in me in that moment something had to be different and I remember after it I remember going up to my the pastor of the church that um, we were in, in in Sydney at the time I went up to him and I said mate I just read the prodigal son that is an incredible story and he's just saying oh, yeah okay, no, it's, it's a pretty good one because you know what actually happened is that God came and he did something really deep and precious in my life and totally changed me and gave me his spirit and he adopted me. I have no doubt that he adopted me and that was the moment where it all changed. 